Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Hi everyone, my name is Emily and I'm going to be reading from Nehemiah 1, Nehemiah's Prayer. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kishlev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and nights for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commandments, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and by your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayers of your servant who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Um, Yeah, and I'm just going to pray for Steve before he um, preaches to us. Um, Lord God, I just thank you for the opportunity that we have today to gather today to hear from your word, Lord. Um, We just thank you now that you will just still our hearts and just prepare us to absorb what Steve has to say. And we just pray that you'll bless Steve and that every word from his mouth will will have come from you. Um, In Jesus' precious name, amen. Great to see you. Welcome. I want to take you on a journey two and a half millennia back in time to 446 BC. I want you to come with me 9,000 kilometers southeast from where you're sitting right now to the city of Jerusalem. I want you to meet a very special but vulnerable group of people, a small remnant of Jews trying best to understand their past, their present, and their future, and full of uncertainty. The fifth century before Christ proved to be a tough period for the people of God. They'd returned from exile from Babylon under the decree of the new uh, emperor of the world, Cyrus, and yet despite returning home to Jerusalem, things hadn't gone as they'd planned or dreamed. Their community was small, their local enemies were a constant thorn in their side. The rebuilt temple did not resemble the former temple. They were back in their homeland, but they were still really not free. And many Jews had chosen not to come back and remained scattered throughout the Persian Empire. They were vulnerable, 
They lacked confidence and corporate identity. They were spiritually compromised. It was a discouraging and unstable time for the Jewish people. And all of this weakness and vulnerability was represented by the city walls. They'd been back in, from exile nearly 100 years. Nearly 100 years they'd been back, and yet we read, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. And into this context, God stirs up the heart of a leader, Nehemiah, to rebuild and renew. Rebuild the city walls and renew the hearts of the people. God used Nehemiah to reinvigorate, to regalvanize the people. He mobilized them into prayer and action. He reminded them of their history, their heritage, their identity, their destiny, which was all in the promises of God in the scriptures. He reassured the people that God had not abandoned them, even though they'd had a really tough time. And actually, God's purposes were still being worked out. None of this had happened outside of his control. And so over time, the confidence and zeal of the people returned. Their corporate worship and community life was reestablished. The mission and purpose of Israel as a light to the nations was re-energized, and the city walls were finally, finally rebuilt. That's the book of Nehemiah in a nutshell. Well, isn't that helpful to know that that's what the book's about? As we think about our context, um, that we too as a society and as a church are rebuilding and being renewed. My prayer for this series is that God will reignite some dreams. That God will rekindle some zeal. That God will refresh the weariness. That God will refocus the wandering. That God will regather us deeper than before we were scattered. And that God would make us, as his purpose always has been from the Old and New Testament, to be an alternate city, the city of God, within the earthly city of Dublin with which we live, that we might seek its peace and prosperity, we might win it evangelistically and bless it through social justice and mercy. So God's calling us today to rebuild and to renew. And Nehemiah chapter 1 says, well, how do you start how do you start a great rebuilding and renewal amongst God's people and then through God's people into society? We learn three things. You need to see the need, the brokenness. You need to feel the stirring of God's heart in your heart. And you need to know where to start, not with action, but with prayer. You need to see something, you need to feel something, and you need to do something. That's how the rebuilding and renewal starts. So let's think about seeing the need, the brokenness. Nehemiah is in the capital of the Persian Empire, Susa. In other words, Nehemiah lives with power and money. Nehemiah is not in Jerusalem. Why? Because he's grown up as a Jewish Persian. He was from Jewish descent. His forefathers were Jewish, but he'd never been to Jerusalem. He'd been born in exile. He'd done very well for himself in Persia. He had a top, the top security job in the empire. He was cupbearer to King Xerxes. As cupbearer, it was his duty to taste the wine before it was handed to the king as a guarantee that the wine had not been poisoned. 
It's as if in our modern world, he was Joe Biden's top security guard. That's the kind of person he was. And verse 2 tells us that Hanani and a few men came from Judah, 9, 000, over 8,000 kilometers, to the citadel of Susa. And Nehemiah, it says in verse 2, questioned them about the city of Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. And what did Nehemiah hear? Well, we've already read it, verse 3, that the walls are broken down, the people are in disgrace. And we're going to see, he's going to weep, he's going to mourn, he's going to fast, we're going to see all that. But I want you to notice, how does the renewal and the rebuilding start? It starts with a question. He asks the question to find out what's going on in God's city. And he listened carefully. Here's a man living with affluence and comfort. He's, in a posi- he's got power, position, and prestige. He lives in a pros- prosperous... I can't get my... <laughs> he lives in a prosperous city. Here comes a few more. He has a high-powered, high-pressured, and highly rewarded job. One can only imagine how busy the demands were on his life as he guarded the most powerful man in the world. And yet he makes time to stop and to ask a question and to listen about another city which is not prosperous, which is not powerful, which is not secure, and which is not well rewarded. It's so easy, isn't it? You could imagine him to go, the excuse is, do you not see what I have on? Do you not see that, you know, uh, it's not my problem. Yes, I'm a Jew, but I'm a Persian. You know, I never really got involved in the Jewish thing. I was raised in exile. Do you not see the responsibility? I've got the most powerful man in the world to look after. I can't engage with problems about what's going on in God's city. In other words, in asking a question, Nehemiah was now engaged. He wasn't distant from the problem. And asking a question, he knew that what he might learn would require a response and sacrifice. In asking a question, he could no longer claim ignorance. I don't really know. He knew. In asking a question, he was having to then decide between Persia or Jerusalem, the city of God or the city of man, between risk and vulnerability or comfort and power. Choosing Persia was easy. It's what was most personally fulfilling for him, I'm sure, in his highly rewarded, high-powered job. Or he could choose Jerusalem and give that up and choose sacrifice and risk and choose other people's needs above his own. That's choosing the heavenly city over the earthly city. It's easier not to engage, isn't it? to persuade ourselves that we're too busy or we've got enough responsibilities or we don't have the capacity to get that vulnerable, you know. If we ask a question and I find out something, it's going to require emotional and physical and spiritual resources. I'm going to have to really rely on God if I do this. It's easy to busy ourselves with ourselves. Do you know, and that's what the Jewish people have done, by the way. When the Jewish people initially returned to Jerusalem, they came back with great zeal to rebuild the temple of God under Zerubbabel and Ezra. But it got hard and messy, and the local neighbors persecuted them, and they got discouraged, and doubts crept into their mind. And do you know what they did? We studied it last year, the book of Haggai. God had to send Haggai to get them reprioritizing what was, they should, to, to think through their priorities. Their priorities, sorry. 
What were they doing? They'd neglected the house of the Lord to build their own houses. They'd stopped prioritizing the city of God to prioritize the earthly city. They'd got pulled into it. Bad patterns of thinking. Bad patterns of living. They'd lost their focus. They'd got anxious. They got distracted. And so that's why 90 years plus after the exiles returned, the city walls are still in disrepair. The question Nehemiah asked was dangerous. It would change the whole course of his life. It would lead him far from his comfort and ease in the citadel of Susa. It would lead him to sacrifice, hardship, denial, multiple death threats, opposition, strife, and exhaustion. But we're going to learn in chapter 2, God's hand was upon him. Because when you choose the city of God and all its vulnerability over the earthly city and all its comfort, you choose to put yourself under the hand of God. So firstly, as we consider where we are as a church and where our city is and what it means for us to be God's people for this city of Dublin at this time, the first thing we must do is ask a question. In other words, in other words engage. And accept the vulnerability and risk that engaging might mean. But seeing the need is actually not enough. Nehemiah sees the need, and then he feels the stirring of God's heart. When I said these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. It's going to, chapter 2, verse 1, we're going to find out it was four months of fasting and praying and mourning. He hears the news and he's overwhelmed. Here's a man that knows when the Apostle Paul in the New Testament says, weep with those that weep. Nehemiah knew what that meant. Here's a man that understood what it was to be one people under God. The Apostle Paul would talk about one body. When one part suffers, you all suffer. When one rejoices, you all rejoice. Nehemiah teaches us about solidarity. He even, when we look at the prayer in a moment, confesses the sins of his forefathers, even though he had never committed any of those sins because they were committed 150 years earlier. But he feels that he belongs to that people. He's one with them. He doesn't separate himself from them. The city of God becomes his problem, his burden. It stirs him into repentance. Today's culture says stresses individuality. Nehemiah stresses solidarity. Today's culture says do what's right for you. Nehemiah says do what's right for us. Today's culture says do what feels good for you. Nehemiah says, do what honors God in his city. Today's culture says, make decisions on your best interests. Nehemiah says, make decisions based on the interests of the flourishing of God's people and through God's people, the city of God, the earthly city within which you live. Do not mishear me. We have to look after ourselves. We are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. So we love ourselves and we love our neighbors like we love ourselves. We must learn to, to, to not, we don't want to, we're not talking about suddenly taking on lots of burdens that we all sink. We must learn to swim. Looking after ourselves is one way we honor God. We'll come to that in a moment. But when God says to his people, you are the city of God, you're the family of God, you're the body of Christ, he's saying you're so weaved together in who I've made you that you have this incredible sense of solidarity that you can't just distance yourself off and go, well, this is how it suits. No, no. We're one. We're together. And this can only be 
a work of God. Because only God can move you from the earthly city and the priorities of it to the heavenly city and the priorities of that one. So God wants to form within us, like he did in Nehemiah, that deep sense of solidarity, to be emotionally and deeply moved about the city of God, God's church. It says in the Psalm 46, 8, doesn't it, the city of God, it should be the joy of the whole earth. It should be our joy. God wants to put something deep within us to connect us deeply to one another that we might seek the blessing of Dublin. You know, for many people, maybe you relate, COVID has had a deadening effect. Our world, our social circles, our lives shrunk and they got very, very monotonous and very online. It's easy to become numb. It's easy to look after number one. It's easy to become spiritually stale, complain, full of self-pity. I know it because I felt it. The Holy Spirit wants to fan into flame the embers that have started to die in our hearts. It gives you a zeal for the heavenly city, God's city. To dream again, to take appropriate risks again, to have courage that our hearts might break for what breaks his heart. How does the renewing and the rebuilding start? With a question which means you have to now engage. And then the stirring of God's heart in your heart, that solidarity that comes from choosing Jerusalem over Persia, the city of God over the earthly city. So what did Nehemiah do? As he heard about all these needs and the, how distraught and the disgrace and the city walls, and you, know, he, he, you, know, you can imagine, and you see it, he, he's overwhelmed, he weeps, he mourns. It's such a burden that he suddenly feels. What did he do? He knew where to start in prayer. In other words, seeing the needs and feeling the stirring of the heart did not lead him to frenzied, anxious action. Many people are burdened by the needs of the world and they think they have to now meet them all. They get overwhelmed, there's all these needs, I've got to go and solve it all. And you quickly become disillusioned because you can't. And that's what happened in Haggai's day and they started to just go for their own houses over God's house. Not Nehemiah. When he hears the great distress the people are under, he doesn't say, what can I do? He says, what can God do? He turns to God in prayer. Nehemiah has no Messiah complex. He doesn't think he's a savior to solve all the world's problems. In other words, Nehemiah didn't try to be God. He turned to God. Many times we get discouraged in ministry or church life or even our own spiritual lives because we're trying to be God. We're trying to fix everything. We're trying to control everything. We're trying to solve everything. And we can't, and we're exhausted. And we just want to give up. Nehemiah takes all that emotion, all that burden, and he turns to God in prayer, and he retains a very high view of God. Look how the prayer starts. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Nehemiah never for one minute thought God had lost control in running the affairs of the world, even when the earthly cities around us were not pleasant places to live. He's the God of heaven. He's the great and awesome God. If the events and needs of the world around you feel overwhelming, the only way to stay afloat is to engage with the Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who can carry every 
single burden. And he's not just great and awesome. He's not just powerful. He's also kind, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you, who keep your covenant of love. Uh, Have I repeated myself? That's it. There we go. Um, So Nehemiah focuses on God's power and God's love, on God's greatness and God's kindness. And God is the creator, the one in heaven, and God is the one who made a covenant with his people. And in verses 8 to 10, we don't have time to look at it. It's such a wonderful prayer. Like, it's a great example of how to pray. You take the promises of God in Scripture and you pray them back to God. He quotes three promises from the Old Testament, from the book of Deuteronomy, about the people being scattered. But he says, if the people are scattered and then they repent, you'll bring them back. And, And when you bring them back, you'll redeem them. He takes God's promises seriously and he quotes them back to God in prayer. You see, to know, to pray without knowing God's power is to pray without faith. I don't know if God's going to do anything. Is he that great and awesome? To pray without knowing God's kindness is to pray without confidence. Does, does he want to listen to my prayers? Is he listening to my prayers? Does, does he really? Nehemiah knows he's great. And he's kind, he's powerful, and he's good. It's easy, isn't it, when life's hard to lose confidence in God's power because maybe your situation didn't turn out as you wanted or to lose confidence in God's kindness because maybe something tough happened under his fatherly care. He decided that that was the way it should go and you're not sure if you like that. And now you're not sure if God is kind. Nehemiah was able to hold on to the power of God and the kindness of God. You need those two things if you're going to pray. And he takes the scriptures, he takes the promises of God to fortify his prayers that he's good, that he's able, that he's with us. So now can you see why he can commit to risk and vulnerability and sacrifice as he prioritizes the city of God over the earthly city without sinking himself? Because he turns to God. He gives all those burdens to God. And he asks God to act. Prayer stops us despairing and giving up and settling for comfort like they did in Haggai's day. Prayer stops us burning out and trying to run too fast or run before we can walk and not last in the course. Only God can save. Only God can redeem. Only God can move power. Empower. Only God can rebuild. And the other thing is, not only does prayer enable us to not be paralyzed, and to, it also teaches us where to start. Right at the end of the passage, Nehemiah spends four months in prayer, okay? And he only asks God one thing. It's a very strange prayer. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Four months of prayer, and he has one little request. Favor, as he now gonna, he's going to, and we'll read in chapter 2, he's going to approach the king and ask for permission to move from Persia to Jerusalem. So prayer helps you go, where am I supposed to play my part in the rebuilding? I can't do everything. Actually, no one else could really do this apart from Nehemiah because he was a cupbearer. In other words, there's some needs that only you can meet. There's some hands that only you can hold. There's some people that only you can reach. In other words, there's great burdens. There's a great need in our world right now. 
and in prayer you go, but what am I supposed to do, Lord, for the good of your people? I can't do everything. Nehemiah has one request because he's heard from God. He says, that's what I can do. He had a specific role. We're a body of many parts. We're a city, Jesus says. And a city of city walls has lots of bricks. We're all one brick. We can't be the whole wall, but we can play our part. Prayer moves us out of comfort and paralysis and fear, but it also helps us avoid frenzied, anxious action where we burn out. Prayer takes us to the heart of God, and we find that God's heart is kind and good. Prayer takes us to God's heart so we move into the city with God's authority, God's resources, and God's ways, and God's timing, all for God's glory. So as we consider the rebuilding and the renewing of our church, of our city, of society, see the need, engage with the brokenness. Feel the holy stirring of God calling you to solidarity amongst his people. And turn to God in prayer, laying hold of his promises and find your place as you respond. Now you might be thinking, I could never do that. In fact, I've tried. Prioritizing the heavenly city over the earthly city, risk and vulnerability over comfort and ease. I'm too fearful, I'm too anxious, I'm too self-absorbed, I'm too maxed out, my mind is meshed. And and how do I know, Steve, that God is really kind and good? You don't know what happened to me in COVID. You don't know what happened to family members. Or How do you know? 500 years later, after Nehemiah went to Jerusalem, another man would go. He wouldn't travel 9,000 kilometers. He'd travel from heaven to earth. Why? Because he saw the need. He saw brokenness in our world. He saw darkness and pain. And he said, I'm not coming to build an earthly city of power, money, prestige. I'm coming to build a spiritual city, the city of God, the people of God. And do you know how he did it? With the greatest act of solidarity the world has ever seen, God became man and died on a cross and took on our sin. Was there ever a greater moment of identification? And why did he do it? So you and I can be secure forever. We don't have to fear. We belong to the city of God, an eternal city that will never be shaken. The cities of this world will shake, they will fall, they will come and go. Cyrus was to go, Babylon had gone. Now, not this city. And if you, by faith, put yourself in it and commit yourself to its purposes, you'll find God's hand is upon you and a whole purpose for your life. Nehemiah came for those that were destitute and in shame. Jesus came, didn't he, for the outcast and for the sinner, the vulnerable and the weak. And they found that he was gentle and lowly of heart. It's not what we can do. It's what he has done and how through him we can become the kind of people our city today needs as we choose to prioritize his city, the city of God. So would you stand? We're going to pray, we're going to sing, we're going to sing that wonderful song that talks about breaking hearts for what breaks God's heart. Just take a moment to think about those three things on the screen, whether it's seeing the need, feeling the stirring, or knowing where to start. Just take a moment to just see how the Holy Spirit is speaking to you.
before we, I pray. Father, we thank you for this great book, Nehemiah. We thank you that we see in history that you move powerfully when your people had been in places of weakness and vulnerability and scattered, and you brought them together and you regalvanized them. We thank you that you are the great and awesome God of heaven who is running the affairs of this world even when the earthly cities seem so vulnerable. Thank you that you're also kind and you're loving and you keep your promises and you want to not just regather us but redeem us and restore us. I pray, Lord, even now as we sing and respond that your spirit would be stirring our hearts to know, as Nehemiah knew, the part that he could play. Teach us, Lord, at this time that idea of solidarity, one people, one city, one family, what it means to practice that in these days. And Lord, we want to become this alternate city this beautiful alternate city of God within our earthly city of Dublin to seek its peace and prosperity, to see people come to know you and to seek the good of those, our neighbours and our colleagues. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.